I want to ask uh, Susan Sanders to join me on stage here. Uh, we are getting ready to launch the second round of Rooted here at Chapel Rock. And I wanted to ask Susan up here to just kind of tell us about her experience. For those of you who have not been uh, part of Rooted, uh, I was just, we thought, you know, it'd be really good if you just heard uh, somebody who had done this. So Susan, you were part of our very first Rooted experience. Tell us about your group. What was, what okay. was, what was that like? Well, our group was uh, composed of existing groups because my husband leads a men's group and I lead mm -hmm. a women's group. I don't know whether to look at them or you. I'll okay. look at you because you've asked the question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I might get distracted too. Uh, okay, yeah. Okay. Start waving at people. Squirrel? Or or, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so the group, that being said, it was made up of men and women. Some mm -hmm. of us were married, some of us single. Mm -hmm. uh, age range from, you know, from 40 through 70-something, so it was quite a mix of people. Okay, so. all right, very good. So you've been in differing small group experiences over the years. Lots of groups, because I'm old. Okay. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stop here to save the pastor. <laughs> We've I, already I, talked about I put my teeth in today. <laughs> what, what makes Rooted different? Okay. You're right. I've been in lots of groups, and I enjoy small groups. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, <clears throat> look at me shake. Okay. You're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> and I like being in front of people. But, yeah. <clears throat> um, what made it different was that, first of all, it's a 10-week commitment, which you know, mm -hmm. but not all of you know. It's a 10-week commitment, <coughs> excuse me, with a beginning and an end, so everybody knew we're going to be in this together right. for the long, for the 10-week call, right, yeah. which is not that long. You'll actually so, meet 12 times in those 10 weeks. Right, yeah. yeah. So uh, we agreed to meet weekly, and everybody was faithful to do that and study and everything. So that, that was one thing that was different. Another thing was <coughs> I liked the, how it was set up. There were five daily readings mm -hmm. that were only on a page and a half or two. Not, not hard reading, right, not heavy yeah. Bible stuff. So it was good for all of us, whether we were new to the faith or much more mature Christians. Mm -hmm. And uh, then there were ways to respond to that, which are, were not Bible knowledge questions, but just... Just uh, kind of how God was and, working in yeah, your Yeah, how we yeah. responded to that. So uh, that, that was really good. And so then when we met as a group, that material and the way it was presented also encouraged an intimacy. Hmm. But it wasn't forced right. intimacy. Everybody could share as much as they wanted to, or as little, and everybody felt safe and knew they'd be respected. Good. And uh, <clears throat> the, the serve experience was different. Although I've been in groups where we've done service projects, mm -hmm. this was a, a real push for we only have... <laughs> A certain amount of time to do this right. so we had to really and we each group was encouraged to find their own service project mm -hmm. and carry it out in their own way so we researched a lot of different ones and um, chose something it was really good because it got us out of our neighborhood good. maybe out of our comfort zones for some of us mm -hmm. and um, raised our awareness of a lot of a lot of needs in our city, mm -hmm. real close to us, where we could really be serving. And it encouraged some in our group to, hey, I want to stay involved in this. So, yeah. so that's exciting. That Good. was exciting. What, what was the biggest area of, of personal spiritual growth for you okay. coming out of Rooted? You sure this isn't too much? Well, it's up. I don't know what you're going to say. <laughs> um, <clears throat> because you already saw it. But uh, um, the greatest it, it was an extraordinary experience for me. Yeah. of personal growth was during the week on sin and temptation. And I've been aware of many sins in my life, believe me. And I was aware of this one sin, but during the 
week, day five of that week was on strongholds. And praise the Lord that we sang that song today, mm. that mm -hmm. Jesus can take away our strongholds. Um, I'd recognized this sin in my life, probably all my life, and had people pray about it, and I prayed about it, and said I didn't want to be that way. And that sin was control, wanting to be in control. I recognized that day that it was not just a sin, but a real stronghold in my life, mm. where I was not just <clears throat> giving the devil a foothold sometimes, but just giving him a blanket invitation right, every know. day of my life. Mm. And I realized that's where worry comes from, fear, anxiety, perfectionism, mm -hmm. all kinds of lack of humility. I mean, not surrendering to the Lord. And, and I love the way they presented it too, because giving us a Gideon as an example, how he was just cowering guy when God, right. God yeah. called him a warrior and he thought, no, nah, not me. Yeah. But I realized, you know, I would joke about being control freak but not anymore right. because now I have a new name. Amen. Trusting Believer. Amen. Yeah. So, Amen. It, was so it, it was a great experience for you. Yes. So, and they should do what today? Folks, if you haven't been <laughs> enrooted, now I wasn't given permission to do this, but I'm, I'm really, now my husband told me, don't get in professional mode, Susan. I'm not in professional mode here. I'm in a personal believing sister in Christ. If you haven't done rooted, you need to. You're robbing yourself if you don't. So ask yourself, what's holding you back? Yeah. Thank you. So you can sign up in the lobby today. Would you give her a hand, please? <laughs> Thank you. I want to begin by giving you a pop quiz today. Now, don't worry. There's no wrong answers unless you just don't tell the truth, okay? That's the only wrong answer. So uh, what I want to do is have every single one of you stand up. Right now, just stand up. All right? We're gonna, here's, the, here's the quiz. We are going to be testing your dependence on technology today. All right? <laughs> so here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to read a series of statements that will be up on the screen, just one by one as we read them. When we get to one that's not true for you, you can sit down. Okay? So as long as these things are true, these statements are true, I want you to remain standing all right, we're going to be testing your dependence on technology. You ready? Here we go. Here's number one. I have listened to a radio. Just didn't want anyone to sit down on the first one. Okay. <laughs> Figured that'd catch everybody. Okay. Number two. I own or have owned a computer. Okay. All right. Number three. I own or have owned a cell phone. Just any kind of cell phone. Even the big brick from the 80s. Okay. All right. Number four. I use my computer and or cell phone frequently. Okay, most everyone's still standing. Number five, here we go. I have an email account. Doesn't mean whether or not you use it, you just have one. Okay, all right, a few went down. Uh, number six, I own more than one computer. So this would be like you've got a desktop or, and a laptop, both. Okay, maybe a tablet. Okay, losing some, okay. <laughs> some of you don't want the headache. All right, number seven, I own more than one computer and use them both frequently. So you're on, you don't just have them, you use them regularly. Okay, number eight, here we go. I own and use a smartphone and or a tablet. Now, if this is true for you, you, you can stand back up if, this is, if, this, if you're back in the game. Okay, look at that. Hey. Boy, we are getting into it now, aren't we? So that preacher quit preaching, went to meddling. Okay, number, number nine, here we go. 
I feel isolated when I haven't checked email or Facebook for a few days. And you're back down. All right. <laughs> Number 10, I keep all addresses and phone numbers in my phone. In other words, the only phone number you have memorized is 911. Okay. All right. Number 11, I check my email multiple times a day. Now, some of you may be required for work to do that. Yeah, a couple came back up like, ah, oh, I have a job. Okay. Number 12, I keep my smartphone with me nearly all the time. It's almost always in your pocket. And the young people are back up. Okay. <laughs> Number 13, I feel isolated when I haven't checked email or Facebook for a few hours. Okay, you're getting your exercise at Chapel Rock this morning. Number 14, I kind of freak out when I can't find an important text message or email. Some of you, for work, that might be an issue. Okay, all right. And number 15 here, I get worried or frantic when my smartphone or tablet is low on battery. Like, ah, I'm going to run out before I run out of day. Okay. And number 16, I always take my smartphone with me when I use the restroom. <laughs> All right. Congratulations, you're addicted to technology. It's okay, I'm still standing too. <laughs> we live in a time when we are almost totally dependent on technology. I don't think we're as bad as the people in the movie WALL-E. Remember these folks, you know? <laughs> They're just kind of sitting there, it, just these little floating chairs moving around the giant galactic spaceship that they're all on. They drink all their food out of a cup, you know? Uh, we're not that bad, but things seem to kind of be uh, moving that way. I am really glad you're here at Chapel Rock Day. Thank you for being here. My name is Casey. I'd love to meet you when we're done. I'll be right down front. Please come down. If it's your first time here at Chapel Rock, uh, please come down and say hi. If you haven't yet, take a second, fill out your connection card, and when you're done with it, just leave it in the seat next to you. Just put it right down when we go, and our ushers will collect those. If you're joining us online, thanks for logging in. We're really glad that you do that. Uh, take a second, fill out your online connection card. Let us know where you're watching from, how many people that are with you, and if you're local, please come visit us on site. Uh, we'd really love to see you in person uh, someday. Um, now, I, I mentioned all this about technology just to show how dependent we can become on our own wisdom, on our own cleverness, on our own inventions. It's a little bit like the Tower of Babel all over again, isn't it? We're going to build this thing up to the sky, and it's not going to be a building, it's going to be a cell phone tower. <laughs> we live in a culture that is obsessed with its own cleverness, and that obsession is, I think, moving us further and further away from a God-oriented worldview. Now, I'm not saying that technology is bad. I just admitted to all of you that I'm borderline addicted to it. I'm not saying it's bad, but when you substitute tech for God, you get a mess. And when you try to put our own human cleverness and our own human wisdom above that of the divine, you're going to be hurting. <laughs> and it will lead you down a path that is either apathetic to God or even openly hostile to Him. And God calls His people in a world like that to stand. He calls His people to stand for Him in a world that's either ignoring or opposing God. 
So if you've got your Bibles or your Bible app, um, <laughs> stings a little bit today, doesn't it? Uh, open it up to Daniel chapter 2. By the way, this is just a personal, I, I love technology and I do almost all my study uh, with two computer screens in front of me, but I still have an analog Bible. I, I just, it's just the way I am. Um, I, I love technology, but I don't trust it. <laughs> and this, this thing doesn't ever power off. So, um, if you got your Bibles, open them to Daniel chapter 2. Last Sunday, we started a new sermon series uh, through the first half, the narrative half of Daniel. That's the part we understand. Um, on this book called Stand. And we're talking about how to stand for the Lord in a culture that's either hostile to him or has forgotten him. We talked last week about how to take a measured stand. How to stand for God with wisdom and kindness. And if you then watch the news all week, you maybe saw how important that is. And in a week where we celebrate the birth of our nation, it just seems to be taking shots at each other. <laughs> United we stand. Really? Maybe we need more wisdom and kindness. So if you missed last week's message, you can go online and find that, listen to that. That's, that's I think, one of the things that's so important these days. Today we're going to fast forward about three years, Okay. So Daniel had been carried off into captivity in Babylon with some of the other nobles from the, the country of Judah, and he's in this three-year program where he's going to learn all the arts and culture and language of the Babylonians. He's going to be schooled in how to practice all their magic arts, even though the law of Moses forbade that. He, he, so this is a three-year-long program. We're going to fast forward three years. All right, so when we come to Daniel chapter 2, those three years have already passed, all right? Um, B Daniel and his buddies have become part of this contingent of men called the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. Now, one of those words, maybe you've heard the term Chaldean. One of those words is actually, the word magician is actually just the word Chaldean. They were so closely associated uh, with those things, okay? These are the wise men. These are the counselors of the king, Nebuchadnezzar, all right? So this is a lengthy passage. Part of what makes it long is there's a lot of repetition. I'm going to read the whole thing. Uh, the repetition, the purpose of it was in an oral culture where you listen to learn, hearing it over and over, and over again helps you remember the story. It also reinforces the point, you know? It, it, parents, it's like this. When you tell your kids, if you don't clean your room, you don't get dessert, and you tell them 48 times, they should have no reasonable expectation of getting dessert if the room's a mess, right? It reinforces the point, all right? So that's the thing. So the repetition is to reinforce the point. Let's look together at Daniel chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, that's Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's those guys, okay, to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever, tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. They kind of sound self-important, don't they? The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided if you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your house turned into piles of rubble. <laughs> Thank God for democracy, right? Okay, uh, <laughs> he's a king, he can do it. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, 
you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, then there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Boy, you might want to underline that verse. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him, get this, remember what we talked about last week? He spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? By the way, guys, it, when you're in a tense situation, it's always better to ask a question than make a statement. Always, every time, when things get tense, when, when you're in a tough spot, start asking questions. Not impertinently, but it's this help me understand thing. Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, same guys, all right. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the, God, to, to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. When you are in an impossible situation, you better pray. Then Daniel went to Arioch, who the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Look at his response. Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. <laughs> My favorite word in the Bible, but. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries, i.e. God, showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked and there before, do you notice how respectful he's being? 
Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing room floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. A little bit prophetic there for the next couple chapters. Wherever they live, he made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. He's talking about Alexander the Great and his conquest, the Greek Empire. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, Roman Empire. For, every iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything as iron breaks uh, things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it mixed, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so its people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Now look at this. Look, remember how arrogant Nebuchadnezzar was earlier? A little full of himself? Look at verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel. He got down on his knees and bowed to him. In the ancient world, kings didn't do that. He ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Nebuchadnezzar is worshiping Daniel. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over an entire province of Babylon. He's in charge of the capital city. And placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, now that's their Babylonian names, administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Now listen, I don't want you to miss this. You need to get this. Here's the big idea today. When you depend on the God who is sovereign over all, you can stand in the most difficult circumstances. That's what Daniel does here. When you depend on God who is sovereign over all, you can stand in the most difficult situations. That's what Daniel does. And if he were here this morning to tell us his story, I think he would stress three areas where we need to depend on God. It's vital that we depend on God in these three areas. Here's the first one, number one. You depend on the greatness of God. Depend on the greatness of God. The greatness of God, his uniqueness, his power. It's a major theme in Daniel and especially in this chapter. And you can really see that in the phrase, the God of heaven. 
That, that phrase, God of heaven, appears five times in this chapter. It emphasizes the sovereignty of God over history and international politics. On this Sunday before the 4th of July, you need to remember that God is sovereign over America. And long after those white marble gleaming buildings in Washington, D.C. have crumbled into dust, God will still be king. And we believe in history that God has used this country, that He's blessed it. But God is God, and He rules over the nations. He is sovereign. Your first loyalty as a Christian is to Him, not Uncle Sam. This phrase, God of heaven, emphasizes that. It became a popular title for deity around the time of Daniel. And, and lots of different religions used it for their gods. Uh, the god of the Zoroastrians, who is kind of a dualistic religion, light and dark, good and evil, yin and yang, that is that idea, but it wasn't from Asia, it was from Persia. The, their god was named Ahura Mazda. Here's a, a statue or you know, de depiction of, of that god. They used that phrase. And he, they didn't sell cars, by the way. That's just the name. Um... But this is that God, and, and so they, they use that title for him. The Israelites begin to use it as they found it to be a usable title for their God, Yahweh. By, Daniel uses it here to claim that Yahweh is the supreme God. Every time that the, the phrase appears in the passage, Daniel is the one saying it, that God in heaven. He's making a consistent witness to the glory and greatness of God. And ultimately, even Nebuchadnezzar recognizes it in verse 47. He says, your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Nebuchadnezzar admits what this passage is consistently saying, that God is great, that he is sovereign over all, that God rules everything. You can always depend on God to advance his own greatness. The other lesson for us here is that God is always able to accomplish his will. Now, we can, I do believe that we can resist it. And for some of you who have a real high view of the sovereignty of God, I know that's a challenge. I do believe that we can resist the will of God. I say, Casey, how do you know? Have you ever sinned? Every time you've ever chosen to sin when you knew what was right and did wrong anyway, you resisted the will of God. He doesn't want you to do that. You can resist the will of God, but not in an ultimate sense. He is sovereign over all, and he will ultimately move things toward being the way he wants them to be. And he may even use your brokenness to do it. That's how amazing and powerful our God is. God can always, always accomplish His will. That's what comes with being God. It's part of the job description. <laughs> and because God is able to do that, we should depend on Him to do that. You can depend on God to accomplish His will in your life. When, when, when everything else seems to be falling apart, you can appeal to God. You can depend on Him to be, be working to accomplish His will in your life. There's a man named William Wilberforce. He was, in, in the early 1800s, he was one of the most leading advocates in England, if not the leading advocate in England, to resist the slave trade. He pushed back against it, and he said this, My own solid hopes for the well-being of my country depend not so much on her navies or her armies, nor on the wisdom of her rulers, nor on the spirit of her people, as the persuasion that she still, England, still contains many people who love and obey the gospel of Christ. I pray that their prayers will prevail. And they did. Generations before we fought our civil war, they outlawed slavery. Because Wilberforce got the people of England to pray, to depend on the sovereignty of God, and to ask God to intervene in their nation. What are you doing to pray for your nation? 
How are you praying for your people on this 4th of July week? Are you praying that God would intervene? Are you praying that God would spark a third great awakening in this country? Are you praying like I do regularly for revival in this country and for a turning back to God? I hope you are because you need to depend on the greatness of God. God is great. He can and will accomplish His will in the world. And the, the, the first and foremost way we're going to experience this, even when things look dark, God can accomplish His will, and you're going to experience this in your prayer life. When you pray, pray the same way that Jesus did. As the hour of His death approached, when Jesus would make the ultimate stand for what was right, He prayed this prayer. Look with me at John chapter 12, verse 27. Look at this. He says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. As Jesus knew that the moment that he would bear all the weight for all my sin and your sin, when it would come crashing down on him on the cross, as that hour approached, he prayed not for a relief from the suffering, he prayed that God would use that to glorify his name. When you are in an impossible situation, when you don't see a way out, instead of praying for relief, pray that God would use it to glorify his name. Watch how your perspective on the situation changes. Watch how you gain heavenly insight like Daniel had. Not, not only did he depend on the glory of God, he also depended on godly friends. He had godly friends. In our former life group, we, we did uh, the story, which if some, I know that Chapel Rock did that right, right about the time that, um, that we were thinking about coming uh, to serve here at Chapel Rock. You guys were doing the story, as you know. It, it's the story of the Bible kind of divided up into 31 chapters. And I remember the time that we discussed the chapter on the Judges. And one of the main things that we discussed was, was the, the lack of anybody, like, speaking up and saying, like, hey, guys, you know, what we're doing is wrong. <laughs> you know, like, nobody, like, when you read Judges, you like, no one says, hey, guys, maybe we should, like, not do this junk, you know? And we were talking about that. We said, why, why didn't anyone do that? Why didn't anyone stand up and say, hey, everybody, maybe we shouldn't do this? And the answers of the group really grabbed me. They, one person was like, well, I don't want to be called a hypocrite because sometimes I do those things. And, and somebody else said, well, I don't know what's happened in that person's life. I don't want them to think I'm judging them. <laughs> Go back and listen to the sermon a few weeks ago from Matthew chapter 5. Or 6, rather. One of the most telling things was when one person said something to the effect of, I just don't want to take the risk. I just don't want to take the risk. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I can identify with that. What Daniel does here is incredibly risky. And the thing that mitigates that risk, the things that helps you get through it when you have to take a stand for what's right is having godly friends around you. Daniel's in a precarious situation. I mean, his life is literally on the line here. There, there's no plan B. If, here's the thing. If God doesn't show up, he's going to die. You ever been in one of those kind of situations? God doesn't act. If God doesn't do what he, they're asking him to do, they will die, and he knows it. And yet he's willing to assume the risk of the king's challenge. But not without his friends. Look again at verse 16 and 17. It says, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. 
Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven, there's that phrase, concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel's in this impossible situation. So what does he do? He goes goes to his closest friends and he asks them to pray with him and pray for him. Listen, if you're going to take a stand for God in this world, you need people who will join you in prayer, who will be there for you no matter what. And just, you know, to pound the nail in even further, if you haven't thought about a rooted group, that should be your first reaction. I strongly want to encourage you when we're done today, go out into the lobby, sign up to be part of Rooted. It, it is, to my knowledge, it is the best and highest incarnation of group life. It, it's the best way to kind of find those friends who will be with you through those times. I mean, it's my intention to make this the centerpiece of spiritual formation at Chapel Rock and the rhythms that it teaches you, the way that it teaches you to live. Please, if this is something you need, if you need to have godly friends that you can depend on, go sign up for Rooted. If you're going to take a stand for the Lord in this world, you need people that you can depend on. There's a man named A.C. Green. He's an NBA player, former NBA player. Holds the record for the most consecutive games ever played in in, in a row. He, get this, from 1986 to 2001, he never missed a game. He played in every single game that his, the four teams he played on, there's a picture of him playing for the Lakers here, But he played in 1,192 games straight. His teammates gave him the nickname Iron Man because he just never missed. And that's amazing. That statistic still hasn't been topped. 17 years later, no one has topped that. But you know what really impresses me about A.C. Green? It's not how many games he played in. It's the fact that for the entire time he played in the NBA, he was a virgin. He made a commitment to abstinence. And even when some of his teammates, not all of them, but some of his teammates sent women to his hotel room, he kept that commitment. He's married now. God blessed him that way. So his teammates, first they called him the Iron Man, and then they, they changed it. They started calling him the Iron Virgin. But he had a few on the team. In the locker room, they would ask him, Dude, how... How? <laughs> you just, they didn't even know how to formulate the question. They're blown away by this guy's stand for the Lord and for what was right, for, for standing on, on these values that he held so deeply to remain pure until such time as God gave him a wife. In fact, the Sports Illustrated wrote a column about him. The columnist Rick Riley dubbed Green, quote, this is his title, not mine, the NBA player who has never scored. Get the play, you get the play on words. And he said he's not immune from temptation, but he's made a commitment. And he's got this group that he's part of called the Champions for Christ. It was an accountability group. It was friends. And they would get together and they would meet and and it would remind them of their commitment. And he was able, someone who was very famous, who, who still holds a record in the NBA, to keep that commitment to remain pure until his wedding day. That's the kind of friends we need in life. When life gets hard, think about this. When Jesus sent out the 12 on their healing and preaching and teaching mission, he sent them out in pairs. These are the apostles. These are the people who were personally trained by Jesus Christ himself, and even they couldn't cut it alone. I've told you before, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. 
You cannot do this by yourself. You need godly friends. And if you're going to take a stand for what's right in a world that's hostile to God, you need people around you. There's one other area where you need to depend on God. And you need to depend on the gospel. See, in this text, it's easy to get distracted by the awesomeness of the vision and the greatness of God to determine the future. And, you know, first it's the Babylonians, and then there's going to be a separate kingdom, and then the, and the Greeks, and then the Romans. And, and God is laying all this stuff out hundreds of years before it happened. And it's easy to miss the forest for the trees. Daniel's telling Nebuchadnezzar, there's going to come a day when all the kingdoms of the earth will be destroyed by the power of the gospel. I mentioned before that Daniel often uses this phrase, the God of heaven, to refer to Israel's God, but nearly as often, either directly or indirectly, he refers to God as a revealer of mysteries. Nebuchadnezzar's wise men tell him that only the gods can reveal the content of the vision, and they say, and they do not live among men. Well, there was this one time. Then another young man from the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David, came and he didn't make a splash in a king's courtroom, but he was born and laid in a manger in a room where they kept animals in a little backwater town called Bethlehem. And he lived a sinless life and he grew up and because he loves you, he died on the cross in your place for your sins. God did come live among men. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what we proclaim every Sunday morning when we partake of these communion elements. And it's the kingdom that we're receiving. We receive this kingdom In a world that seems like it's falling apart, you can depend on that. You can depend that God loves you, that he died for you, that he rose for you, and that he's living for you and in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can depend on that when your world is crashing down. You depend on the gospel. In Daniel's time, that was a mystery. It's shown symbolically in the vision, but nobody didn't understand what it means. It's so far off in the future. Now that mystery's been revealed, Paul described the gospel this way in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. He says, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us, just dumped it out with all wisdom and understanding. He has made known to us, get this, the mystery of his will. God is a revealer of mysteries according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This mystery has been revealed. We belong to a kingdom that will last forever, and your participation in it is what enables you to stand in life's most difficult situations. Several years ago, um, we wanted to try to save a few bucks, and so we canceled our cable subscription. Um, we have it back now, uh, just... You know, I like the news, and Debbie missed HGTV. So, uh, but for a while, we were a Netflix-only family. And just one night, we were looking for something to watch, and I'd heard good stuff about this show, Sherlock, kind of the modern retelling. Uh, you know, so you have Benedict Cumberbatch and, and playing Sherlock and Martin Freeman playing Dr. Watson. And so I said, I said to Deb, hey, let's give this a try. Kids are in bed. I'd read some of the 1895 Sherlock stories and, and the original, you know, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Let's try this. And it was awesome. 
It's, it's, it's a powerful, if you like mysteries and stuff, it's, just, it's very well acted, very well done. It's, it's a powerful show. And my favorite part of the show, and probably if you've seen it, yours too, is when Sherlock then explains to Dr. Watson how this thing played out, how the, how the mystery is solved. He, he explain, and I love this part where it's all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, I totally didn't even notice that. And it's, it's wonderful. It was my favorite part of the show because he explained it and also because Debbie finally released the kung fu death grip she'd had on my arm for the last 84 minutes. It's tense, man. Like, no, what's going to happen? I don't know. I mean, her idea of tense is when couples on HGTV can't agree on what color countertop to have. Like, that's enough for her. It's okay. It's the way God made her, and I love her for it. But I, I, I don't identify with Sherlock very much. I don't feel very often like I've got this all figured out. I identify with Dr. Watson. Like, what? How did you? What? Okay. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like Dr. Watson. And you're kind of waiting for Sherlock to tell you what's going on. He will. Now, he may be working on something that's going to affect your grandkids. I don't know. That's how sovereign our God is. That's how in control he is. And sometimes I wonder if, if these difficult times in our life are a little bit like being Dr. Watson in a Sherlock world. It's confusing and tense, and we, we don't know what's gonna, how it's going to turn out, but we have this friend that we can depend on who understands what's going on, who can explain it to us, and who will be the one who, in the end, will reveal the plan behind it all. The revealer of mysteries is the true God in heaven, and his plan, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that in Christ... We can have our sins forgiven and receive the presence of God to live in us forever. That we participate in a kingdom that will never perish, never spoil, never fade, and will ultimately destroy all the kingdoms of this world. That's our God. And so when life presents you with an impossible situation, you depend on him. You hang on to him when life gets impossible. You find some godly friends who will stand with you and you trust that the greatness of God will ultimately be displayed in all these situations. Listen, when you depend on the God who is sovereign over all, you can stand in the most difficult situations. I will confess to you that I too often depend on technology. And sometimes I look for a technological solution to a spiritual problem. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. It doesn't work. <laughs> What's the phrase? Technology's great when it works. And when you try to fix a spiritual problem with a technological solution, you will be disappointed. But when you depend on God, when life gives you an impossible situation, and you depend on Him, then you will be fulfilled. He will reveal himself to you, and you can stand. Maybe you're here this morning, and you know that it's time for you to depend on God for the very first time. You're going to have an opportunity to do that. In just a second, we're going to stand and sing together, and I would invite you to come down front. We'll have folks here ready to receive you. If you've never made a decision to say, I want to depend on God for my future because Jesus died for me, then you can do that today, and I would invite you to come as we sing. Maybe you, like Daniel, need some godly friends who can pray with you and pray for you. And we're going to have our decision counselors down front, people, our prayer team ready to pray with you. If, you've got, if you feel like you're in an impossible situation right now and just need someone to pray with you, we're going to have folks down here that, that will do that for you this morning as we sing. Maybe, 
you're in an area of your life where you don't see God's greatness. And you need to have a conversation with someone to be reminded of where, where that is. I would encourage you to go to the next step room under the yellow awning. Talk with one of our leaders in there and let them kind of be a filter for your experience. I'm not sure how God is moving in your heart today, but I pray that he is. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me and, and, and you respond as God leads you and we sing together this morning. Will you stand?